Uh, we're going to go ahead now and turn our attention to Scripture, and we are uh, going through the seasons of the church calendar now in the summertime. We are going through what's known as ordinary time, a time in the life of uh, a Christian, in the life of the church, where we reflect on what it means to be Christian in the 24-7 everyday ordinariness of our lives. And so I want to uh, invite you to find a pew Bible or uh, you can follow along on the screens. This morning we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to pray and then we'll dive in to the text this morning. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your sweet presence in this place. I pray that as we reflect on your word and what it means to be a disciple, Lord Jesus, that, um, that you would lead and guide and encourage and convict, Lord, that we might know you in deeper and more meaningful ways, that we might uh, fall in love with you again this morning, and in so doing, understand what it looks like to be with you on mission um, and to live a life connected in all that we do to all that you are, both in our gratitude for our salvation and in humility as we seek to obey your teaching. Be our Savior and our Lord this morning. Your precious and holy name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 10, we're going to do the first 10 verses. After this, the Lord appeared, uh, excuse me, appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say peace to this house. If someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, I will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town we wipe from our feet as a warning to you, yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God has come near. Today we're going to take a good look at discipleship, this group of 72 who gave, what, gave up whatever they were doing, left their jobs, left uh, their hometown, and they're on a journey with Jesus, not out of any force, that Jesus brought, but out of their fascination with who Jesus is and was to them and is now with us. And so they decided 
that they would heed the call of Jesus and join this group, this movement that had now risen in number and there were enough, 72, that Jesus wanted to invite into the next step in their discipleship. Now, this isn't the first step of discipleship, right? The first step in any uh, discipleship journey is to just learn to be with Jesus, um, to learn what it means to spend time with him, to see what he is about and what he is doing, to learn to recognize his presence, his personality, and the ways in which uh, he uh, lives and moves in and amongst us. But then there comes a day in any discipleship journey where Jesus calls us he comes and says, it's time to take the training wheels off. It's time to fly. You are to be sent. And so we get to see what these 72 uh, were invited to do. And it is, I think, a good practice for us to imagine in our mind's eye what it would have been like to be there on this day, to be one of these 72 who had observed things that they never expected to see, who had seen God working in human flesh in their midst, in their small, everyday, ordinary town. And then he calls them together and says, you're going to do what I did. You're going to do what I'm doing. Get ready. And I believe that before we, let's put a little pin there, and before we uh, get to too much of what that would have experienced been like for them, let's just get to one of the most important teachings on discipleship, which I think is present within here, because I think that will help us to just understand exactly what the calling was for the disciples. Um, this is something that a lot of the heavy hitters of the church have dealt with when it comes to discipleship. Um, this idea that somehow got into the church that we can actually divorce our salvation from our obedience. One person who really dealt with this was a really wonderful Christian writer and pastor named A.W. Tozer. He once expressed his concerns around discipleship like this. He said, feeling, he, he felt that in, 19, in the 1970s that there was a notable heresy that had come into being throughout evangelical Christianity. This widely accepted concept that we humans can choose to accept Christ only because we need him as our savior and that we have the right to postpone our obedience to him as Lord as long as we want. The writer Dallas Willard picked up on this teaching and he actually labeled this belief as acting like a, quote, vampire Christian. He says it this way. He says, 
One, in effect, says to Jesus, I would like a little of your blood. I don't care to be your student or to have your character. In fact, won't you just excuse me while I get on with my life and I will see you in heaven. One of the ways we really see this happening is actually when we come to the challenging teachings of Jesus in the interpretation of the challenging teachings of Jesus. This morning we see there are some challenging teachings of Jesus to his disciples. One other place where scholars really wrestle with the meaning of challenging teaching is when Jesus gives his sermon on the mount. And for a long time within the church, there was this conception of the Sermon on the Mount that it wasn't really that we were so much to live out what Jesus says because it is so difficult. It is such a high bar. All this stuff about being salt and light, about turning the other cheek, about giving to the needy, about not worrying, you know, all this stuff. It became a conception like, really, the reason why Jesus is saying that is to remind us that we cannot live up to this high bar, and so we need to ask for forgiveness and grace, and then we'll be okay. Well, there's nothing wrong with being confronted with the difficult teachings of Jesus and feeling inadequate, but that is only the beginning. As we pray, Lord, would you save us and give us your grace, we are invited into the next step. We need to collapse the teachings of salvation and the teachings of sanctification into one thing called discipleship. This is what we see in our text this morning, that these 72 were saved to be on mission. They were saved to go out because Jesus really believed that those who heard his sermon on the mount and those who are in this holy huddle could do exactly what he was doing. There was some really dramatic consequences to this separation of salvation and sanctification or salvation and obedience around the time of World War II. You see, there were a lot of churches that were really okay with the salvation aspect, with the asking for grace aspect of Jesus. But when Hitler rose onto the scene in Nazi Germany, there was another question around lordship. And there was a very real threat to any Christian who wasn't willing to go along with what the Nazis were about. And so many baptized Christians became part of the Nazi party. And many Nazis were actually part of churches that had endorsed and sanctified what was going on with Hitler. And so there was one man who became the main person that stood up against this trend. His name was Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And Bonhoeffer was the first one to point out this inconsistency and to say that if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, 
then you also need to follow him in obedience. And not only that, that it has real world consequences for the church. And he described what this grace looks like by calling it costly grace. He writes this, Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow, and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life, and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin, and grace because it justifies the sinner. We see this big time in our text this morning, like I said. So one more time, would you imagine what it would be like to be gathered with 72 and Jesus is there and he says, guys, we are going to take this thing global. Are you ready? Here's how we're going to do it. Leave everything that you have behind. Take nothing with you. You're going to go up and you're going to walk up to perfect strangers' households and you're going to say to them, I offer you peace. And some of them are going to reject you. In fact, you're going to be out there like sheep among wolves, totally vulnerable. The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Good luck. Go get them. (laughs) Can you imagine standing there hearing that kind of pep talk? from Jesus. Now, if they hadn't seen Jesus model this exact posture, then their human feelings that are saying, this is crazy talk, probably would have overcome them. But they have this model. They have been with Jesus. And they're beginning to learn in practice with real-world consequences now what it looks like to be on Jesus' mission, namely that Jesus is sending them out with nothing except God. He's sending them out in faith and saying, with nothing else, what you have to do now is rely on the presence of God and the response of the people. And he's not saying that you will be, have a 100% guarantee. He's saying simply, walk in faithfulness. And some will hear your message of peace and experience the presence of the Lord's peace among you and they will welcome you in. Spend time with them and bless them. Eat their food and enjoy their hospitality, essentially in this culture, meaning that they will become your friends. And then there will be those who won't receive the message. And Jesus is saying, don't take it personal. This is what happens in the kingdom. This is a part of the reality of being in the kingdom. And though you may not have a 100% success rate or that there may be times where you experience rejection, that doesn't mean that you give up. 
That just simply means that you receive that rejection in the same way that you would receive the friendship, understanding that God has his purposes, and in light of that, you can operate and move in a way where you are sure in your identity that Jesus has sent you. And it is merely your faithfulness that he requires. And um, they've seen this already. And so he's just saying, now do what I did. Actually, the most popular book outside of the Bible in Christian devotional life is a book by Thomas Akempis called The Imitation of Christ. And there's a reason, I think, why it is historically the most popular commentary on the scriptures. Because the way that we learn is through modeling. Now, we can say a lot. I can teach you a lot of words. I can tell you a lot of systems and theology. But if nobody models those words for you, nobody puts them in flesh and blood in front of you, my hunch is that they will remain just words and they will not become practices. Paul picks up on this strongly in the New Testament church. In fact, he uses this counterintuitive life that he has experienced of great challenge in order to exhort the New Testament church to follow his example. Here, Corinthians uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he says this, To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty. We are in rags. We are brutally treated. We are homeless. We work hard with our hands. We are cursed. Uh, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth the garbage of the world right up to this moment. I am writing this not to shame you, but to warn you, dear children. Even if you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, this word meaning teachings, interpretations in Christ, you do not have many fathers, meaning examples. For in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. This is how we get the application stage right. And this should be really good news to us. Because what we can do is assess what our challenges are in life. And then we can look around the church to see and find models of disciples that have been through those stages, have dealt with them, and can model for us how we might go through them and give us wisdom about what we need to navigate and to be an example to us that no matter what is thrown at us, that there is a model for how to endure it and to stay in love with Jesus. Meaning, if you're looking for a job or you're struggling with your job, find somebody who's been in that place and see how they held the responsibility of being a Christian in the workplace. 
Or maybe you're struggling in your marriage. You could find somebody out there who has gone through the difficult seasons in the life of your marriage, and you could ask them questions about how they stayed faithful to Jesus even amidst the hard times. Or maybe you lost a spouse. You could go find the other people in this church who've been on that journey, and they could show you and tell you all of the stories of how hard it was and yet how Jesus brought them through. Whatever your situation is, there is a model in the life of this church. One of the privileges I have is to be able to stand and to hear the testimonies and to see the witnesses and the models and examples. And one of my prayers is that we would begin to foster this ability to speak to one another, to learn each other's stories so that we might understand who our models could be and how we can disciple each other as a village collectively. Now, we're not perfect examples, right? We could admit that. But that doesn't mean that our salvation isn't moving us into deeper, more meaningful discipleship practices that help us to go through every life stage to the best of our ability. There's a beautiful uh, children's book, a children's poem at the beginning of a children's book that came out of the 1950s, uh, and maybe you, some of you know her. Dorothy Nolte wrote this wonderful little children's poem that I think gets at what it means for our children to learn from our example, but also how we could all learn from each other's examples. It says this, If a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. If a child lives with encouragement, he learns confidence. If a child lives with praise, he learns to appreciate. If a child lives with fairness, he learns justice. If a child lives with security, he learns to have faith. If a child lives with approval, he learns to like himself. If a child lives with acceptance and friendship, he learns to find love in the world. And so, if we're with Jesus, what will we find? There, we find a healthy, nourishing community. The kind that actually can send us out to do what Jesus did and to be what he was and is and will evermore be. And so I invite you, because we know the world so desperately needs more disciples or imitators of Jesus to assess these questions. Where are you at in your discipleship journey? Are you ready to move from merely but graciously in God's mercy, receiving his grace and allow for him to move you out into his mission in obedience and faithfulness? And are you seeking out models 
wherever you may find them, of disciples who are just one step further down the road, who you can learn from and see in the real world how you might be faithful to Jesus with whatever question or season you are in. My prayer is that you would find answers to those questions this morning. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, would you come as we prepare ourselves for communion this morning, Lord, would you give us uh, your love? Would you give us your peace? And would you call us? Would you call us to go into our everyday 24-7 lives in faith, totally reliant on you and you alone to give us all that we need And to understand that if we do step out in faith, that you will be there. And that you will take care of us. And that your providence is with us, leading us along every step of the way. Help us to take that next step. In your precious name we pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.